When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positively Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther. With me, as always, the wonderful Barry DeFord. Barry, how much do you wish you were flying home from Vegas today? To some degree, I can say very much so, but also the melancholy one feels um, when saying uh, so long to your friends for another year or indefinite period of time. Um this is sort of the hard part, and, and mm-hmm. shout out to uh, to Thad out there, Tyrannicus on uh, on the Twitters and, and whatnot. Uh, Thad, you 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 kind of captured it well of like the you know I'm, I'm heading home now kind of feel, and uh, yeah, I feel that. But it, it's been wonderful getting to live vicariously through our, all of our STLV friends. Yeah, definitely. So as we're recording this, it's Monday, the Monday after STLV. Uh, Sadly, this year, neither Barry nor myself were able to attend, but uh, seeing everyone's posts over social media, it looks uh, incredible. Uh, I've been to SDLV many times and uh, deeply regret not being able to go this year, but uh, I'm so glad it seems everybody had a great time, uh, especially given the kind of weird year it is with the kind of restrictions placed on the talent that are there. Yeah, it was funny, actually. Um, I wound up with my stepson uh, going to a hockey event, and it was held at a, a casino hotel uh, in Edmonton, the River Cree. And uh, entertainingly, I kind of wanted to mess with some of the STLV people and <laughs> take a picture of me in the casino near some slots or something and be like, yo, where are you at? Um, but I decided not to just to... Just because it also kind of made me sad to think about that, to be like, no, actually, I'm not here. (laughs) I'm so far away right now. Anyway, bye. So I decided (laughs) not to. Yeah, well, it would have been definitely great to be there, of course. But uh, we did get some news out of STLV and kind of the there's some different bits of Star Trek news floating around this week. But one piece that I really wanted to focus on. Uh, And that is this first look at Star Trek Prodigy Season 2 that was revealed at STLV. Now, of course, kind of odd given that it doesn't yet have a place to be seen officially yet. I think the creators are still very hopeful for that. But we did get this uh, quick look at basically four minutes out of the uh, second season of, of Prodigy. So, Barry, did you get a chance to get a look at this footage? I saw the stills. I haven't seen the the video mm. yet, but being was it ninety percent sure or ninety nine percent sure? <laughs> Are they like that that it's going to happen? Like, really, I just see all of this as that opportunity to um, advertise the interest that mm. other platforms can look at this and be like, okay, yeah, we're we're going to make easy money if we throw this thing on here, uh, kind of thing. And and I appreciate that. And my hope is that this also means that it's going to find its way to DVD because I am going to purchase um, season two when it comes out. 
um, because this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fed up with the whole platform thing, to be honest with you, and we'll be very slowly getting my own copies of stuff as I, as I move on in life kind of deal. Those of you, uh, if you've not seen this clip, maybe uh, skip ahead to our discussion because this is our only piece of news this week that we're talking about. Really excited to see the doctor back. Um, that is fantastic. Bob Picardo um, needs to be in Trek more often. I love it. And um, so that really excited me. And yeah, seeing the new the new Voyager, um, it, it is that kind of like a, it's like a like a shrunken down sovereign class to me to some mm-hmm. degree. I, I, I do really appreciate its its look. It's it's sleek. It's got some chonky nacelles too. Absolutely. Yeah. 29 decks, which is either more decks than the Enterprise E or the same number of decks as the Enterprise E, depending on which movie you're referencing. Well, <laughs> come now. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, Lamar class, which is pretty cool. And apparently the Hagemans on their stage panel at, at STLV said that the ship design is named for inventor, scientist, and actor Hedy Lamar. So, oh, well, there you go. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is really cool. No, it's a good, um, it's a good little nod to Star Trek fandom, um, giving us something that I think we feel very strongly about. We want to see this series. It's already made. Come on, right? Like, um, I, I was looking at some of our old episodes, uh, outlines and stuff, and I was far less convinced that we were going to see Michelle Yeoh coming back, uh, and now she's doing, you know, the the little tiny mini mini movie sort of thing. Um, but for them to pull. Um, prodigy i think it's important that this gets shopped around a little bit that there is some interest um who do you think might take this um this on what platform do you think might might do it i feel like amazon prime maybe has a good shot at at showing this having uh you know featured star trek before internationally and uh they kind of have a bit of a history of taking some of these um well you know, the expanse. Absolutely. And not only taking it on, but creating, you know, going, going to the studio and saying more, please. Um, yeah. which, you know, is not outside the realm of possibility for prodigy. I, I mean, it may be a bit of a pipe dream, but I'm really hopeful. I would love to see many more seasons of this if possible, if somewhere net like Netflix were to get it just based on past performance, uh, I'd feel a little less secure about its future. But if it, we do learn that Amazon picks it up, not counting my chickens before they're hatched or or anything like that, but I'd be a little bit more hopeful, I guess. I would echo that quite a bit. Um, mainly just, I think, uh, the, the whoever runs Amazon Prime specifically, um, they seem to allow a little more creative um, flow to go in many different directions and stuff like that. And yeah, anyway, I just, I'm very hopeful seeing this, uh, come through. I was kind of watching it as it was being brought brought up and everything like that. And and so getting our hopes up like this, it had better go somewhere or else there's going to be some pretty angry, uh, Star Trek folk. Yeah, absolutely. So also mentioned during the Prodigy panel at STLV, uh, they're like you said, 99% sure that Prodigy will find a place, um, and it has seven episodes left to go in post-production. So seven out of not 10, like other series seasons, 20, that's a yeah. huge number of episodes. And they're expecting to complete that around Christmas of this year. So they're working on it. They have money from Paramount to finish the series. So, I mean, they're not going to be investing that money if they're not 
fairly certain that they're going to get a return on that by some other streamer buying the rights to it. No, it's good news. Well, like I said, that's kind of all the news that I really wanted to talk about this week because I'm really excited to get into our discussion saving money when you start your next project today at menards check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock ready to take home today we carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest menards you can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on menards.com save big money at Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper and our discussion this week is all about what is known as diegetic music in star trek and a little bit more specific than that so those who don't know diegetic versus non-diegetic music diegetic music is music that characters can hear and respond to on the show and non-diegetic music is stuff like the soundtrack or the background music that we, the audience, would hear, but the characters don't. Now, of course, recently we got the amazing Subspace Rhapsody episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which had me thinking about all of the previous times that music has featured in Star Trek. And like I said, specifically, characters singing or making music. And I kind of wanted to talk a bit about that this week because, you know, this is Star Trek's first musical, but all the way from the origins in the original series, all the way up through the new series, there's lots to talk about. So I'm excited to talk about this. I'm in a musical mood. I am too. And uh, maybe really quickly, just before we get into it, the step that uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is taking by by making this musical episode and stuff like that. I know it has uh, got a lot of people excited. A couple of people are sort of meh about it, but um, it, it isn't something that's necessarily completely out of the ordinary when it comes to Star Trek. And getting to sort of do a little homework, Dan, you did sort of the preliminary, you gave a, a pretty good list of songs to check out and, and to reminisce on. And yeah, I mean, Star Trek is actually remarkably musical. Yeah, from very early days as well. So... Uh, Celia Rose Gooding's Uhura played a big role in this recent episode. And I think the earliest bit of, of singing that we can find in Star Trek comes from Uhura, the original Uhura, Nichelle Nichols, all throughout Star Trek, the original series. But specifically, I wanted to call out a couple of, uh, occasions that she sang Charlie X which Charlie's our new darling, Charlie's our new <laughs> darling, as well as, you know, that great collab with Spock, the grinning Spock as he plays his Vulcan harp. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the conscience of the King, 
where she sings Beyond Antares over the the Enterprise's comm system. Beautiful. That one really feels a lot like that part of it. It feels very much like a, a sail, a sailor, right? Like a real person singing on a sail ship and everyone just sort of in a quiet repose listening to this extremely talented person also very 60s too you can you can really feel the jazz in Nichelle Nichols' voice um would have been cool to see her um you know really like I know she did a few concerts and stuff like that I would love to have seen that mm-hmm. and that's actually something that our current Uhura Celia Rose Gooding has in common with Nichelle Nichols yeah. a, a pretty storied singing career besides her acting so yeah, uh, very cool. And a nice little legacy to kind of continue with that character for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's it's good to see how much um again, you know, bringing a a black actress to the forefront in Star Trek in such an early time to us it doesn't really necessarily seem that high concept, but really it would be, right? The idea that that you know, this person is sort of leading leading the music people are listening people are engaged people are interested uh, and she's a bridge officer you know mm-hmm. so again i think i think music has always been a really good way to kind of bring those political messages forward um but i do have to say that the the space hippies in this way to eden for me are like nails on a freaking chalkboard <laughs> as as much as as much as i understand like this and that and, and like i'm from like we're, we're 90s kids and and so I, I say all of this knowing that the other shoe has to drop, but like everything that was obnoxious about the sixties was like rolled up into that one scene in the mess hall when the two of them are, ugh, I, I can't do it. Oh, come on, Barry. Their sound is now real now. Oh my God. And then, and then Spock comes in with his like harp thing and he's playing that thing while the lady plays the bikes, bike tire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, you know, I, I understand it's all for the effect. It's all the really to, to get their 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 henchman guy free from the from the brig and everything else. But like, oofta! It, uh, it wow! It was just it's so sixties. I used to watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Um, those of you who don't know, basically picture a crappy movie from the fifties or the sixties, and then superimposed on the movie is like the front row of theater seats, and there's a guy and two puppets in the front who basically make fun of the show the entire time Mm -hmm. and so i've seen a lot of 60s schlock because of that and this is just dripping with it i can't do it so (laughs) yeah i i i have to say i didn't actually rewatch this way to eden itself i i watched the clips and was done (laughs) yeah so you're you're not even on board with gonna crack my knuckles and jump for joy i got a clean bill of health from dr mccoy Oh man! Also, I think Uhura plays that harp thing better than Spark, Spock ever did. Hmm. Ooh, her, her 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 <laughs> fake playing is more convincing than his fake playing. <laughs> I love it. Well, from there, you know, that's kind of the TOS live singing that we get. We get Uhura and the Space Hippies. Uh, we revisit it. You know, we we don't talk a lot about a lot of films in this. No. Uh, oh, although I just remembered there is one that I forgot that I'm going to have to add to the list later now. See, this this happens. Star Trek Generations, isn't it? Uh, Star Trek Insurrection, actually. Oh, Insurrection. Sorry, that's what I meant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got Generations and Insurrection mixed up. Yes. We'll have to talk about that. But we do have to mention Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, yes. for a couple reasons. One, fun and good, I guess. And the other one uh, kind of makes my 
meh list. A little cringy. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so row, 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 row your boat. <laughs> How many times does Bill Shatner say that? He's like, row, row, <laughs> row, row, row your boat. <laughs> You've never Dr. heard row, 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 row your boat? <laughs> well, I'll start and you listen carefully to me and I'll begin singing and then Bones will continue. <laughs> now oddly enough this of the two that i'm mentioning is uh actually my preferred i i enjoy this it's fun they're getting a little drunk around the campfire and you know expecting spock to jump in when he doesn't and frustrated um you know when he doesn't jump in there and uh, he's trying to ascertain the meaning of the words and yeah, life I liked is him better before he died <laughs> <laughs> one of the great lines of that film absolutely yeah. Uh, so that's fun. I enjoy that. You know, they're not accompanied by any kind of uh, music. Uh, actually, at the end, the reprise of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Uh, with that harp again. Yep, Spock with that harp. And he, Leonard Leonard Nimoy is really playing it that time. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. That's a nice touch for sure. Can I give a quick honorable mention to Leonard Nimoy and his Bilbo Baggins song? I think it um, needs to be mentioned. <laughs> if you haven't... If you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, you are in for a treat, friend. All you need to do is go on your favorite video playing application on the interwebs and type in Leonard Nimoy Bilbo Baggins and just sit back, relax, and let it just wash over you because it is the most (laughs) goofy song in the world. I saw it, oh man, the first time I saw that was very shortly after I like binged out when I was a kid watching In Search Of, Mm, the show mm -hmm. that Leonard Nimoy did, and my grandpa, who like saw that I was getting scared by the In Search Of shows, I remember, I forget how he, he had it on a video cassette tape, because he watched Star Trek, and he was like, and it took him a while to find it, but he was like, do you want to see something absolutely mad? (laughs) I'm like, yes. So he showed me that, and it, it made me not as afraid of In Search Of. Hmm. Very nice. He would do the old like two VCR recording thing. And I remember he had a couple of movies in Dr. Zhivago and a number of Star Trek episodes. (laughs) That's what I remember. Anyways, I I digress. No, that's great. Um, I should we mention Shatner's spoken word album (laughs) as well? Yes. I think, uh, uh, man, she backed her bags last night, pre-flight zero hour. (laughs) I (laughs) am. Anyway, that's uh, that's all I'll subject you to uh, of my impression there. Oof. <laughs> and then go do Zap Brannigan uh, with Futurama <laughs> doing Lola. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, so one other mention from Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, I want to make is um, Uhura, and I put in Uhura in quote marks here, yeah. um, singing in front of the moons of Nimbus 3, uh, to distract the the guards, the sentry people or whatever, naked and not actually her singing voice either. They overdubbed with another performer. So um, feels kind of gross and exploitative and isn't even Nichelle Nichols singing. So yeah, that's kind of an yeah. eh in my book. Give that one a pass. Yeah. <laughs> Just eh, move on. And I mean, but, I, um, I know there will be fans of it, but uh, definitely uh, didn't leave the best taste in my mouth personally. No. And, and, and the, I guess like, you know, kind of like two poles of a magnet. Um, the other like bit with with singing row your boat and everything it's it is very sweet to see the banter between you know 
Bones McCoy, uh, uh, Bo- sorry, Bones Spock and, and Kirk. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is charming to see and it's happy and it's it's a nice little resolution um, and whatnot. But yeah, the other pieces, I don't know. It, it's Star Trek V. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> it's sure. not the best movie. <laughs> not really, no. Well, what does God want with a spaceship? <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's... There, it's one of those films, and I'm going to go on record here. Um, overall, I generally dislike the movie, but it's got parts that I really enjoy, and I think that, like the marshmallow dispenser, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the com- camaraderie be- between the three of those characters in those moments, those are nice. But I, I, I challenge you to watch this movie again and keep this in mind: when Kirk is not on the screen being awesome and he's always being awesome in every scene he's in when he's not on the screen the characters are talking about how awesome he is and once you notice that it gets very annoying very fast (laughs) because it was directed by bill shatner yep (laughs) whereas when when leonard nimoy directs it's it also gives william shatner a ton to do Mm mm-hmm well, let's uh, leave the original series behind and move on to Star Trek The Next Generation. And when I initially made this list, I was thinking, oh, there's not a lot of singing. It's mostly instrumental stuff. However, as we're talking through this, as I knew would happen, some things are coming to mind. And one of which is not Captain Picard himself, but a doppelganger of Picard singing a rousing uh rendition of come cheer up my lads in 10 forward to uh rouse the troops of the enterprise d uh, so i forgot that one um showcasing uh patrick stewart singing talent there also in disaster he and the kids sing franca jaca that's a really good point as well yeah uh and in that same episode we get just a little slice of Jordy LaForge's attempt at modern major general um yes <laughs> a very very small bit before he throws up his hands and says i can't i can't <laughs> yeah exactly so one that always gets me and and one i want to maybe just take the reins on here is riker i am a trombone player i am a grade 6 royal conservatory rated trombone player at least i was a long long time wow, ago wow i did not know that yeah um and played on some pretty 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 notable uh, uh mostly in my high school days jazz bands and stuff like that we uh I, I played for a jazz band that was actually one of the better ones in the city uh, and i was probably the worst player on it um but it was fun and so getting to see Riker play the trombone was always really impressive for me and, and and meant a lot um and most of the time his slide is in the right place so mm. that's that's good as well i mean producing that is difficult because i know that you know sound and video don't always match when they're producing an actual episode and so you can't really fake a trombone play really well because you could literally see where the slide is Mm -hmm. and if you know you're playing um you know like a a b flat and your slides like halfway out well no like that that's impossible you're playing some kind of e um and and i don't know what you're doing so it it's it's good and i find in in the one where he meets minuet who when i rewatched that a couple of years ago and i actually finally settled it once and for all i thought that was a very young kate mulgrew who was playing oh. as minuet but it mm. was carolyn mccormick mm-hmm. Indeed. but just at certain angles i was like 
is that Kate Mulgrew? And I'm like, no, it isn't. But boy, <laughs> it was uh, for a minute there. I kind of I kind of lost. And boy, those two, the, the, the chemistry between Jonathan Frakes and Carolyn McCormick in that episode, in that scene is almost as smoldery and hot as Nana Visitor and Rene Aubergenois. But we'll get there later. Oh, yes, we will indeed. Yeah, Riker's jazz trombone um, introduced way back in season one and was, yeah, a hallmark of his character episode all the way 15. through. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Minuet came back a few times, too. Indeed, yes. Absolutely. Future Imperfect was... Uh, yeah, yeah. And it works... Sorry, I'm interrupting you, Dan. A listener, you can't see this, but Dan is wearing a shirt right now that says, what happens in the holodeck <laughs> stays in the holodeck, and Minuet is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. And and I am wearing this shirt in honor of STLV, because I could yes. not be there, so... Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a lot of um, very... TNG was very much known as, as featuring classical music a lot. And yeah. basically Riker's jazz trombone was about as contemporary as they tended to get, you know, between sea shanties, Gilbert and Sullivan and classical music. That was, that was about it. So, uh, we got many a concert on the Enterprise D. Uh, mm-hmm. we saw, I think it was O'Brien playing cello in a concert, which, they tied into in Deep Space Nine. I think he mentioned his father wanted him to be a cello player professionally. Yes. I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and of course, Data and his violin, we see quite a bit as well, both as his Holmesian character and as himself. So, absolutely. I think the episode Sarek is probably one of the best uh, features of that, where they put on a concert for the Vulcan ambassador who is visiting the Enterprise. It's quite moving too. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. The um, the renditions that they would have. There was always something a little bit more kind of comfortable and, and amateur that I appreciated about TNG's display of, of music. Like, yeah, when Data gets together, it's him like a couple of dudes or, or same thing with Riker wearing his like iridescent house coat playing trombone <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. I guess it's more of like a smoking jacket, but uh, he yeah. ain't wearing pants usually. And there's Troy off to the side going, night bird, (laughs) night bird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lordy. So great stuff there. Uh, Again, though, moving into the uh, non-singing side of things, we also get another member of the crew who takes up an instrument later in this series, and that would be Picard and the Resican flute that he obtained yes. from the, the probe from the planet Catan. So the inner light, of course, being uh, the introduction of that. But we also see him playing it in the episode Lessons with his uh, paramour in that episode, Commander Nella Darren. And uh, one of my favorite bits in the episode, A Fistful of Datas, where he's playing yeah. classical music and keeping time with it, with his flute and and recording the results, I guess, for later playback, which I think is kind of cool. There's something about the the, the sort of sentimentality that, that that flute has with Jean-Luc Picard. And if I was to use a a sort of some kind of icon to to, to display or to take the place of Picard instead of his face, it would be a flute, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I think Picard was was really incredibly moved by that entire life he lived yeah. <laughs> um, in, in, that, in that simulation. And I think you can't simply walk away from it. I truly believe he mourns um, on and off. And, I mean, you see it in lessons, especially when he's in that Jeffrey's tube playing it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you really feel it. Uh, and, and, and I think that's important and it's something that's always been important to me. I remember, um, at STLV, they had kind of like a Picard thing, um, the one year, the Picard display. And I believe the flute was there, or at least a replica of it was. And, and yeah, it's, it's always been something that stood out to me. And it's something that I really do think is such a huge piece. And I know a lot of member berries showed up in Picard, but I was really glad the flute got its due. Yeah, for sure. There's a there's a deleted scene from Star Trek Nemesis and it's one of the scenes that I feel like got cut because the director didn't understand Star Trek. Um but it's a wonderful scene where Picard and Data are in his quarters talking about moving on, different phases of life and life and death. Uh, very much of course foreshadowing the the end of that film. But as they start talking about these themes, Data is looking around Picard's quarters and in a close-up shot picks up Picard's flute and looks at it and puts it back down. Mm. And I remember watching this with a friend who uh, very much didn't like that because he's like, oh, it's just member berries. Like, oh, look at this. Look at this. But if you really watch that scene, and those of you who have the the DVD or the Blu-ray of Nemesis, find find the deleted scenes and this particular one. Uh, I think it very much resonates with that theme of life and death and paths taking different paths and, and that sort of thing. I think it really works in that scene. And I think uh, that was one of the times that uh, I don't know if that movement was in the script that was written, but if it was like, that makes perfect sense. The the writer really made a good connection there. I think I find, I find, musical instruments have a lot of sentimental value to me as well i, I mm-hmm. bought a bass when i was in high school I, I saved all my money up and i went and bought it and i still own it and i still play it from time to time and it really does feel good um to to go back to it and when i pick it up i think of 14 year old me playing that exact same bass i guess no i would have been older 15 16 probably whatever <laughs> it's been so long but it does it it connects me to my past it connects me to my life experiences to the people who i've shared music with with that base um so yeah no i i don't think it's simply a member berry i do think it's actually a fundamental component of what makes jean-luc picard jean-luc picard mm-hmm. i'm i'm such a nerd because i pictured you touching the base and and <laughs> picard saying physical touch can connect us to the past in ways <laughs> from first contact right touching the phoenix exactly uh, exactly nerds we're all a bunch of nerds i love it 100 <laughs> percent. speaking of nerds yeah i want you to talk to this because i had forgotten this and you brought this up um <laughs> just so, go yeah <laughs> the biggest the biggest Klingon nerd is, of course, Worf. And I absolutely love in would be, um, oh, is that Unification? Yes, Unification yeah. Part 2, I believe. Unification Part 2, when he is in that CD bar and that lady is playing the, the Klingon opera and he hears her playing Melota and, and he turns and he's, he just like grits his teeth and he's like, Melota. And just the way he says it is, you can feel like, oh, this is one of those Klingon operas that are just full of tragedy and everything goes wrong and everyone falls on their batliths at the end and die honorably with their faces to the battle. And it's just, um, I'd asked you earlier if you've ever seen um, 
uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And you told me no. So if any of you have, this really is reminiscent to me. If if those of you have seen the show with Charlie Day, um, it's kind of going through a psychosis phase. Then he's playing on the keyboard and he's he's singing about spiders and everyone's like, oh, God, here we go. And it is it's a similar kind of feeling of like it's when you see another nerd, right? It's when you hear something very nerdy in a, at a table across the restaurant and you have to like get up and be like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, the, the Milota scene. And, and for me, there are points in time when like a really good song for me, that is like a total guilty pleasure. I will often go Milota. <laughs> like if there's, <laughs> so, you know, if, if, uh, if semi-charmed life comes on by, uh, by third eye blind, I'm like Milota. <laughs> Just for whatever reason, I love that song, and I'll sing the whole thing. That's so. Great. Anyway, yes, it's a it's a guilty pleasure to watch that part of the episode because I love how much Worf just absolutely nerds out. Oh, that's awesome, and he really gets into it. It's so much fun to watch. Um, going back and watching some of these has been just a true pleasure for sure. I, I do have one more to uh, talk about with t- the TNG crew. And that is, of course, one that I forgot to put on the list and occurred to me as we were talking here. Uh, we got, like I said, Jordy with his little snippet of... of um, Modern Major General. Modern Major General. Thank you. Uh, but we get another song from uh, Pirates of Penzance. Is it Pirates of Penzance or it's at Gilbert and Sullivan anyway? It's a Gilbert and Sullivan, yeah. Uh, a British tar, a of course, British in Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> sing, Wolf, sing. No. <laughs> but he gets into it eventually. And, uh, he does. We end up with that, that trio of... Picard, Worf, and Data singing back and forth as, you know, a way to get into his base programming, I guess. That's fun. I I don't mind Insurrection. I enjoy it. I think it's a fun romp. There's some things in it thematically that I'm kind of like in my later years annoy me a little bit. Why are the Baku all white and they're able to help them, but the natives from Dorvan 5 and Journey's End with the same situation, they aren't able to help? Anyway, uh, putting all of that aside... Um, I love that whole sequence. That is so much fun. That shuttle chase and the a British tar singing. Um, I will note, however, it takes two button presses on the main console of the shuttlecraft for Picard to bring up that song with the bouncy ball sing along. How is that two button presses from the main screen? <laughs> Artificial intelligence. That's all I'm going to say. That see, actually now that kind of makes sense. I'm the computers. More okay with that. The computer knew that Picard needed to do something. It knew that Picard would pick something like that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going to say. All right. Even though right now, everybody, I got to say, I also like Insurrection. It's fine. The graphics suck. Um, <clears throat> the special effects suck. But it's a really good episode of Star Trek. It's an episode of Star Trek that somehow... F- like fell outside of the season seven and wound up on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be, it would be a, per, it's right alongside Gambit as a good, like season oh, seven, yeah. two parter, I'd say. Oh yeah, absolutely. would have been a great two parter, but anyway, we got it as a movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, now we'll, we'll definitely move along to, we'll move along Ooh. home to deep space nine. I didn't even intend that when it started saying it, but, Beautiful. uh, DS9 is very musical and yes. surprisingly so. 
I'd say. I would say, and, and it gets more so at the end. And and I do really feel in a lot of ways, especially when we start really digging into all of that crooner stuff around the Dominion War, it really was just 100% the writer's guilty pleasures being brought to the fore and everyone, and, the, and it just landing. Like, it really could have not landed, mm-hmm. right? Like, I really think about when people think of Star Trek and I hate to do this and this isn't actually true, but like I can gauge a Star Trek fan by how well they know their crooners. Does that make sense? Hmm. Like if you really like DS nine and you know, Jimmy Darren, then you're going to know, you know, obviously the rat pack, you're going to, you're going to kind of have a bit of an inside on, on that kind of Vegas style music. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think that it really was just something that, that, they took a shot at because I think a lot of writers and a lot of people on set must have liked it. And it just so happened. So did we. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense for sure. I've heard this story and I meant to look this up again to make sure that I got it right. And, and so I, you know, take this with a grain of salt here, but what I had heard was that Frank Sinatra Jr. Kind of went to them and said, I'd love to be on Star Trek. And they, they thought about like, oh, let, let's create this lounge singer character. Um, and they kind of presented it to him. And he was like, no, I, I wanted to be like an alien under a bunch of makeup. <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, and so that didn't really work out, but they had created this character. And so they got Jimmy Darren to play the role, much to the delight of myself and Star Trek fans everywhere. And again, I, I, probably have a whole bunch of that wrong i've heard little bits of that story here and there i can't remember if that came out of the deep space nine companion um by paula and and uh paula and block and terry j erdman or somewhere else but uh that's what i'd heard and uh, i'd love to look into the veracity of that fair enough i mean i think like as an actor too, I think Jimmy Darren was fantastic. And then we're getting a little ahead. I want to go back to, to move along home here in a second, <laughs> but you know, obviously he, he had already had a few dalliances with Star Trek actors in the past with TJ Hooker, um, playing mm-hmm. with, uh, William Shatner back in the day. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, he, most people probably won't say that he's the best or anything like that, but he is 100% my favorite you know, Vegas style singer. I have actually from the heart a signed copy. And uh, there are times when I'm driving this, typically when I'm driving alone, um, I will blare uh, just some of his stuff because he, he, I think he's a super talent, absolute wonderful. And I loved him in the mirror universe episode where he goes (laughs) in guns a blazing and just, that's it. (laughs) I I love how little explanation they give that. They just have everybody go like, what and then move on (laughs) yeah everyone just sort of blinks and moves on speaking of probably what i did the first time i watched it was blink and move on (laughs) Um, move along home i gotta say the first time i saw it i don't think i watched the whole episode i probably walked away from it since then i have developed a love for it but uh dan what was your first experience with move along home how did you react I loved this episode and this was before from the start start. i mean i was fairly young when i watched it Um, you know, so I, I mean, as an adult, I can absolutely look at this hour of television and see why and how it fails on a dramatic level and is not, you know, yada, yada, yada. As a kid, I loved it. It's only a game. (laughs) I I love that totally undercuts the entire drama of the whole episode, but I loved it as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so the musical bit, of course, is the infamous Alamorain scene where the little girl is is doing the kind of hopscotch type thing. And Bashir says, oh, follow her footsteps and slams into the force field. And they figure out they have to sing the song as well. Yeah. And I just love this because their characters shine so brightly in that scene um, and there's, it's season one, so they haven't developed the characters very much, but Kira is like Alamorain, count to four, <laughs> Alamorain. It's so perfect. And then, you know, Dax very kind of road and Bashir's, you know, not doing much with it. But then you get Avery Brooks and you yeah. get his, just that voice. Yeah. Alamorain, count to four. Alamorain, count to four. Alamorain, then three more. Alamorain, if you can see. Alamorain, you'll come with me. Alamorain, you'll come with me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this this man. Oh, I love this voice. Yeah. <laughs> and it gives it gave me goosebumps a little bit hearing it again, which is weird because it's but he puts he puts a little zhuzh in that and it's appreciated. In some of his monologues, Avery Brooks puts some zhuzh into <laughs> into what he's saying. He is um he is definitely very good at making anything look good. And and yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've come around to finding, um, move along home to be something of a romp. And, uh, and again, you know, they're just throwing pickle and you're right. Season one, they're throwing pickles at the window to see what sticks, right? Like that's, that's ultimately it. And it's a very high concept episode. Um, it's funny, actually, I went and saw the Barbie movie recently with my family or actually just, I think just with my wife and speaking of high concept that I didn't get the first go around. Um, Move Along Home was the same, but maybe I'll develop a love for the Barbie movie as well over time. <laughs> um, but yes, no, it is it is a weird, weird TV episode. And it's funny, you uh, you came over recently to watch some Star Trek and we watched some some not very common Star Trek in front of my family who hasn't seen a lot of Star Trek. So I'm wondering <laughs> if maybe the next episode I should show them is Move Along Home and be like, see, this is just Star Trek. It's just super weird. And then I'll play them This Way to Eden or The Way to Eden. Um, and really just turn them off. <laughs> yeah. Oof, man. <laughs> How to ensure a non-Star Trek fan in two easy steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, then play, then play Code of Honor and be done with it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, the one other thing, and I mean, this isn't a review episode for Move Along Home necessarily, but I will say it's very TOS. Like it feels very oh, original yeah. series. So, Very much so. For better yeah. or worse, I guess. They're in a weird 60s funhouse. Yeah. Um, I I got to say, uh, and I, I watched this one twice um, over the last little while, um, if we get into Vic Fontaine now a little bit, I want to quickly divert us over to Nana Visitor. We've already mentioned her. Mm-hmm. Um, when she does Fever, and it's just her hand snapping, and then she goes down, she touches the symbol, and then it shoots up. She could melt butter with that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Nana Visitor is a very captivating entertainer. That was a very wonderful uh, little bit there. And I think Odo looked like he was about to boil uh, <laughs> <laughs> near the end when she lays on the piano there. Oh, Absolutely. I honestly, um, I've never been the biggest fan of the song Fever. It's just not one that's really kind of bubbled to the really? surface for me. But her version of it, I have that, I have uh, Star Trek soundtracks and that is on one of them somewhere because I I dumped them all on my computer at some point. So that track is in there and it is so good. It is by far my favorite rendition of that song ever. 
Um, which is saying something because I think that song has been covered. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times by how many different artists, mm-hmm. uh, but Nana visitor singing that song is, and I mean, and part of it is the personal connection I have with deep space nine and, and how much that show defines what I think of as great television and great entertainment. But just hearing Kira's voice, Nana Visitor's voice singing that song, it just, it moves me every time and I love it. She does an excellent job, bar none. Um, <clears throat> another honorable mention though for me, and, and I think I think Frank Sinatra sings it, I like Jimmy Darren's version of It's Only a Paper Moon better and it has everything to do with the uh, eponymously uh, eponymous episode, um, It's Only a Paper Moon, when Nog is recovering from his injuries uh, after fighting the uh, Jemadar. Mm-hmm. And he's he's dealing with the fact that he's only got one leg, I think it was, and he's got that prosthetic and, and all that sort of stuff, but he's really having that, that PTS. And I, I really think they did a fantastic job of just getting that that feel through by using that song. And so now when I hear the Jimmy Darren version of Paper Moon, I think of that episode and I love it more. So you're right. I mean, music is what we connect it to. And, you know, loving Star Trek for its music is, it kind of makes sense. Absolutely. There's so many Jimmy Darren songs. This, this one, It's Only a Paper Moon is so good. I think again, because of that connection, like you say, uh, for the longest time when it was first airing, I was obsessed with his version of I've Got the World on a String. I just mm. loved it. I just got in a swingy mood every time I heard <laughs> that, and I loved it. Um, I still do, obviously. Uh, I, I think he's incredible. And even it wasn't my favorite of them, but the role that the song All the Way had in the episode The Siege of AR-558, and yes. of course, which which kicks off that arc of nogs um in season seven uh really moving as well for sure absolutely uh, can we can we go too long without talking about when uh, jimmy darren and avery brooks get up on a stage together i don't think I we s- can <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say i was thinking about this i would shell top dollar honestly and i really and truly mean this i would shell top dollar to get the front table um at jimmy darren and avery brooks just doing show tunes all night I would be I would be all over that. Um, obviously, both men are, are a little more aging nowadays, and, and I don't think Avery Brooks does public appearances, and I totally respect that. But if I could get into a time machine and convince both men in, like, I don't know, you know, 1999 uh, to do that for me, uh, that'd be pretty great. Yeah. So I'm going to get on that. <laughs> this was one, when I first saw it, uh, was so incredible and I could not believe that this was happening uh, what a voice like the two of them singing together and Cisco doing that like that gravelly crooner voice for a couple of the lines and stuff uh, again that zhuzh right like yeah. he's, he's so good and also in the context of the episode it's kind of fun to try and think of when they cooked that up together because like he's kind of against helping out the holographic character early on because of, of his personal misgivings about, you know, that period in history for, uh, black people and, and that sort of thing. Um, then he comes on board after, you know, Cassidy Yates kind of brings him around uh, they plan the heist. They do the heist. It all works. Everything gets reset. And then, 
you know, Captain, if you please. And he comes up on stage and it's obvious they've rehearsed this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> they're playing off each happen? other. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it that, and that's it. Right. And, and, and I think, I think obviously if, uh, Cisco brings up an extremely good point. I mean, I would counterpoint as well to say that like, well, what are we celebrating by going into the holodeck here? We're celebrating black musicians, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously some of the best jazz singers and musicians were black. Um, they originated the, the, the entire music genre itself. Right. So I, I do think that, that Avery Brooks does an incredibly good job of bringing that out and and actually so i'm gonna get a little technical here um even in like the beats and stuff the way he's playing the old style jazz like the best is yet to come like he's he's just catching the ends of the notes Mm -hmm. like he's 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 pausing as long as he possibly can before going into the next bit and there's even a point where he does it quite a bit and it's it it, it, like the camera cuts to cassidy and she like gives like a chuckle of like oh i know what you're doing right because he's just so comfortable in it he can just sing it that way and that's always been sort of the secret to jazz is like you want to you want to catch it right at the end of that that note there really really to ham it up and and you know they often say like oh it's it's the it's the notes not being played it's also the notes that you take a long time to get to playing um and avery brooks is himself a talented musician um i can't not bring this up is when when bill shatner did that um lovely self-serving piece captains and he went and, and saw the other captains oh, from, yes. from Bacula to Mulgrew and Avery Brooks you can tell is 100% not having the interview like he is not interested and this is pure conjecture and maybe it isn't the case but I do believe that there might have been some cannabis involved uh, on both men's parts um, when Avery Brooks is just playing the piano over the questions that Bill Shatner's trying to ask him I just I love that because <laughs> He's like, hey, girl, what you doing? (laughs) He's not interested in having this conversation. All he wants to do is play his piano. And I'm just like, shut up, Bill. Just sing along. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something I need to go back and watch. Let's watch that together. Yeah, like I feel like I've never sat through the whole thing because I feel like when I first watched it, it made me very uncomfortable. Like Bill, Bill's whole shtick, and and I don't know. I I need to watch it again because I'm sure I got the wrong thing out of it. But I felt like this is very uncomfortable, and I don't like this. And um, but uh, I I want to check that out again because I I do very vividly remember those bits and and kind of laughing at at Bill's expense a little bit there. <laughs> well, and and that's it is is you can very much tell Avery Brooks is, was not taking him seriously at all and I don't really blame him <laughs> to be honest. I'm on I'm I'm team Brooks on that one for sure. Well, I we could talk about Vic Fontaine um all night. I think the one last little bit I do want to mention is in the final episode, the way you look tonight is just yeah. such a, a defining moment for that series. And a little bit of story that I I read coming out of that is um, that when he sings directly to Nana Visitor, uh, and specifically the line, that laugh that wrinkles your nose, of course, she's Bajor and ha ha, she apparently wept openly on multiple takes of that. And they had to keep redoing that because she just couldn't hold it together um, and, and yeah, like that makes me, uh, feel things deeply for sure. But 
now rewatching it and seeing that moment and seeing her reaction there and knowing how genuine, you know, the, the look of joy on her face, but also there's sadness there and knowing that that's real. Um, yeah. it, it's, oh, it's very moving and, uh, an incredible moment. You said it better than I could have ever. That's, that's exactly it. Oddly enough, we still have more to talk about with regards to Deep Space Nine because there's uh, one that maybe slips under a few people's radar. But when I first watched this when I was younger and DS9 was first airing, I loved this moment so much. It's the season seven episode Chrysalis, uh, the second episode featuring the so-called Jack Pack, right? The the genetically engineered misfits that Bashir yeah. kind of uh, shepherded along a little bit. And the one character who is in a catatonic state and was being brought out of her shell. And she has, you know, a bit of a speech disorder because she hasn't spoken for decades, presumably. And in order to to kind of rectify that, they they all sing this do-re-mi medley and keep changing it up. And because they're, you know, genetically engineered savants, they're brilliant at it. And by the end, it's this only using do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, uh, this incredible piece of music, which I just love. And the joy on her face as she's singing. And it's just a beautiful moment. It's, it's a problematic episode, but a beautiful moment. <laughs> You're right. The moment itself. Yeah, the episode could have could have changed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think I think, yeah, the, the amount of creativity that went into building that as well i mean for a a a weekly episodic television series it's amazing how much talent just sort of happens Uh, and then it's on to the next episode you know like whoever put that together and arranged it and then the actors being able to to you know follow that through there's some serious talent there and Mm -hmm. it is something that you're right just kind of fly under the radar a little bit yeah it always kind of blows my mind that um the the actor that played her in that episode is the same one who played her in that first episode, statistical probabilities. And she didn't have a single line in that first episode and just sat there the whole time. And then in this episode where she's brought out of that state, she's incredible. Like what an incredible talent and crazy that she had so little to do in that first episode. I mean, she had some very physical acting to do as, as she kind of like, she's aware of her surroundings, but she never speaks a line. And uh, to hear her voice singing this and, and ah, it's incredible. It blows my mind every time that like, how did you do that casting? That's great. I had that experience a little later on, but I'll bring that up in a moment. Oh, excellent. Uh, One last little bit for Deep Space Nine. I think this is something that is featured more across the Star Trek universe, but really found its place in DS9, with the exception of Melota, of course. Uh, (laughs) And that is the the Klingon songs, Drinking and Otherwise. So uh, The Way of the Warrior has a really great example with Worf singing a drinking song with an old friend. Uh, and soldiers of the empire as That's they're flying into battle one officer starts thumping on the panel and everybody starts singing this battle cry as they they fly into battle it's so good <laughs> it's beautiful and, and it is something that 
really does flesh out the Klingons. Ron D. Moore, my love goes to you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, you really built that species, and and obviously, right with with a with a culture, you need to have some kind of music, and it you know it's a familiar kind of music to some degree. But yeah, no, you you fall in love with the Klingons more you hear their music. I fully I fully believe that uh, as as you get deeper into. Um, there's stuff, especially through Deep Space Nine, where where you start really getting an understanding better of of the Klingons, how they react to things, how they act, how they. Uh, that Worf is basically the the sort of de facto um, arbiter of succession every time <laughs> as well. Um, no, it's it's wonderful, and so yeah, hats off to Ron Ron D. Moore on that one. Totally, and also just in that particular song, I'll always remember the camera panning across the Klingon bridge as they're singing. And as it gets to Martok, he says, Mashta! In time with the music, basically the Klingon word for engage. And he even does like the Picard hand symbol, hand yeah. signal to engage as the camera's moving across. In perfect time at, the, at the pause in the music. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's totally badass. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, another quick shout out to Ronald D. Moore, apparently, and again, I need to look this up, but apparently back in the Deep Space Nine days, he was making rumblings about wanting to make a Star Trek musical. So there's nothing new under the sun, folks. The, these are not new ideas. <laughs> no. And, and, and again, like if it isn't your cup of tea, cool. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I have made my my point very clear on how I feel about space hippies. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, but anyways, Star Trek Voyager, I want to move us over here because obviously I am not a Voyager completionist. I have to say I really haven't watched a lot of it. Um, and that is to my detriment. Again and again, I am reminded of that because Tinker Tenor Dr. Spy um, was a hint that I do know of because I had seen that one before where Bob Picardo does his opera uh, and does the um, amazing um, response to when um, Tuvok goes into Pon Far and he's singing along as well. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, La Donna Immobile, but yeah. singing about Vulcan Ponfar. <laughs> Get me the hypospray. <laughs> I thought that was really, really wonderful. But then in Virtuoso, holy crap, can Bob Picardo opera? Jesus Crow, that guy is talented. And then obviously, like when he was going into the alien opera music, it was very much like it sounded like he was just warming up. But the original bit there, my goodness, he is very talented. I was not expecting that. And had I have known that when I met him in the elevator at STLV, uh, I would have mentioned that. I would have been like, you're actually like amazing at, at opera, dude. Um, <laughs> but I didn't get that chance. So I'll have to, I'll have to get that again another time. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how many of our listeners, probably more than a few, uh, are listeners to Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil's podcast, The Delta Flyers. And uh, <laughs> Garrett Wong Ensign Harry Kim does a pretty good impression of Bob Picardo. Yes. And he recalls that, that this was kind of originally Bob Picardo's idea to have, it's like, excuse me, Brennan, I think it would be interesting to have the doctor (laughs) sing opera. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Of course. That's my impression of Garrett Wong's impression of Bob Picardo. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, uh, yeah, I, according to him anyway, that was his idea. Um, and it was a good idea. Great idea. I love what it did for the character of the doctor. Virtuoso, not my favorite episode. 
the doctor kind of comes across as, as pretty uh, in that episode, uh, yeah. which was the point, but incredible talent for sure. Holy um, cow. Yeah. I, I have a bit of a, 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 a soft spot for opera myself. Um, I'm not trying to sound, I don't know, snobby or anything, but uh, I, I was, because I went to a performing and visual arts school, I kind of had a bit of exposure early, but uh, in my twenties, there was a traveling opera of Faust et Faust et Hélène. And, you know, it's a story about making a deal with the devil and that obviously doesn't go very well. And like the last line of Faust et Hélène is all is lost. Um, but, uh, it, I, I burst to my feet and started clapping at the end of it. It was so moving um, because you could read along as they were, you know, saying what they were saying in Italian um, or French or something. Um, but boy, um, I do have to say, like, I got a little bit of that back when I heard Bob Picardo saying, I was like, wow, he is he is very talented. And if you do like opera, I mean, he's not like, like, he's not a professional, but he's definitely like very talented for someone of, of, you know, like just a, and a person who can act, right? Like he's not a, an opera singer specifically, but, uh, wow, he's, he's very talented. Mm-hmm. I was impressed. Yeah. I can't, I can't get over it. Absolutely. And I mean, anything from, from opera with that incredible range to, uh, his rendition of that old black magic with Harry Kim and the Kim Tones. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and see, and then he, and it switches over, right? Like he 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 does he does a real good just sort of, I don't know what what genre this is like kind of jazz, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, does Harry Kim does Garrett Wong actually play the saxophone and the clarinet? Apparently not. Um, I was looking really? on a website, and there was a um uh, a, a musician who was analyzing it, I guess, and and mm. saying that um whoever coached him on his fingering is very, very good. So they do a good job apparently. Okay. Cause that's where I was like, cause I, I don't know a lot. I, I kind of know the fingering for a clarinet and I think that's pretty similar for a saxophone. Mm-hmm. And as far as I could see, he was relatively on point. Um, everything was to, to the point in lower notes, you know, obviously had um, more fingers down and higher notes had more fingers up. And so I was like, okay, I think he might actually be doing this. But yeah, no, if an actual professional has looked at this and have been like, nah, that's, that's unfortunate. But uh, Garrett, you had me fooled. Good job, mm-hmm. buddy. Yeah. Uh, done, done his homework and, and been very absolutely. well coached. If Mad if, props. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Harry Kim and his clarinet, which later he takes up the saxophone and according oh god i know why hmm original universe harry kim played the clarinet the <gasps> second one played the saxophone oh my goodness <laughs> i don't know if that fits in in the timeline of things or not but that'd be funny not quite but i like it i like it um yeah no apparently and that was that's from the very first episode his mom called voyager because harry had forgotten his clarinet but there was no time to go back for it. And of course, uh, then they were thrown 70,000 light years. So he was very far removed from his clarinet, but saved up his replicator rations for a month and replicated a clarinet in season two of Voyager. There you go. Um, but then later takes up the saxophone. And uh, as far as I remember from the Delta Flyers, I think that was a request by Garrett Wong to the writers as well, saying, like, can I graduate to the saxophone, please? <laughs> <laughs> No, you get the tuba. (laughs) 
So, you know, uh, we don't get a lot of it, but I would highlight there's an episode, I think it's the season five premiere episode called Night, where Voyager traverses this starless void and Harry Kim has the bridge watch and composes a piece of music on his clarinet um, that kind of is a theme for this traveling this uh, empty void and I, I think i think it's called echoes of the void he names it yeah. or something like that uh nice piece of music very yeah, haunting it is yeah it's good to see and, and, and it definitely eventually i will get i will get all my voyagers in one mm. day i promise and i'll give a little shout out to seven of nine sings a little bit uh most notably in the killing game when she's playing a world war ii uh, lounge singer who's part of uh, a, a cell of the Maquis, the original Maquis, uh, who are uh, fighting the Nazis in occupied France in that that hollow program where she's not herself. She honestly believes she's a part of the program along with the rest of the crew. It's a weird episode. The Herogen have taken over the ship and decided to cast themselves as Nazis. So, um, well, there you go. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and she does some duets with the Doctor later, which are lovely as well. Star Trek Enterprise. There's a a very unmusical group of people over their four seasons. I honestly, I didn't look further into this, but I couldn't think of any times where any of the crew sings or plays music. Nothing comes to mind, and I thought we'd get something either maybe from Trip singing some kind of... He plays the harmonica in one episode. Yeah, some down-home Florida song or something, um, nothing. And then, mm. um, yeah, no, it, it never really comes up. Obviously, the, the big the big musical takeaway from Enterprise is Faith of the Heart, the, uh, the Rod Stewart joint that got a whole second life in the world of Star Trek. Yep, absolutely. So Russell Watson's version of Faith of the Heart, which officially is called Where My Heart Will Take Me, because... I, I guess they had to change the name for the cover. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, the the theme music to Enterprise is kind of the standout one there. Uh, let's go on the record here. Let's Let's lay our cards on the table because every Star Trek fan I know who has seen Enterprise has an opinion about this. What are your thoughts on the opening credits of Enterprise? Drum roll, please. <laughs> Meh. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. I don't know. It sounds like something from the 80s. It uh cuz it is. Um it is very aspirational. Its tone is really off for a space movie um to some degree. It it comes from a time though, right? Like it comes from a time, you know, this is shortly after September 11th. Um there's a lot of that kind of patrioticy sort of stuff. Uh I see what they were trying to do and there are points in times where I will sing along to that um, when it's playing and there's times that I'll skip it. It is not my favorite piece of Star Trek music by any stretch of the imagination, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't love it, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it to start. I hated it for the first two seasons. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I I would intentionally go heat my nachos up when that was playing because <laughs> I couldn't stand it. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think my initial reaction was very similar. Um, I I didn't enjoy it. I found it very jarring from what we were used to. I'm going to go on the record now and say I really enjoy it now, though. (laughs) I know it's, uh, 
it's weird, but uh, I, I really enjoy maybe not necessarily those exact lyrics and that exact song, but I enjoy what it's trying to do. I enjoy the feeling it engenders in me. And visually, I know this isn't has nothing to do with the song necessarily, but visually, the opening credits to Enterprise might be my favorite opening credits just for oh, yeah. the imagery we see and and that sort of thing. So oh, yeah, you see like the Wright brothers and all that stuff and Yuri Gagarin. Yeah, no, it's it's very or maybe they did John Glenn. They probably would have done John Glenn. Anyway, it, it's great to see that. And just for reference, Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. John Glenn was the first American in space. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if they who they show, um, but they show one of the two gentlemen. And mad respect to both of them for going to space. <laughs> um, but anyways. Um, um, it's uh, it's something that I think a lot of people lean into for the sake that it makes other people insane. So <laughs> there's that too, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, now, the other question that has to be asked is uh, season one and two was kind of the original version of that. Season three and four, they added this like upbeat kind of guitar riff over it. Um, yeah. What do you? Which do you prefer? Give me the original. The other version is trying to put lipstick on an orangutan. Just don't. Here, here. It, it was fine the way it was. Um, you know what? Actually, I really liked was the uh, in a mirror darkly. Yeah. The um, through a mirror darkly music. The dun, 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 like it's very like intense. I thought that was pretty great. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. The season three four added acoustic guitar over top of it is so weird, especially since like season three we're going into this delphic expanse this dangerous area of space where we're going to seek out this person who intends this this group that intends to destroy the earth and like the credits come on and they're like all of a sudden 10 times happier and you're like what is going on (laughs) yeah whereas something like the the deep space nine theme though also following like a a season-long episodic arc if it was a happier episode or a less happy episode or, you know, far beyond the stars, even that music works mm-hmm. with every single version of it. it. It it has enough. Whereas I find faith of the heart is very tonally specific. I think is maybe kind of what you're getting at is yeah. that there's this like tone of a song and then suddenly it shifts, which I think is difficult. And I think, you know, with the new Star Trek episode coming out that's a musical, you know, finding the reasons to sing, I think, is always really important, too. And I just, no one asked for Faith of the Heart, but it's ours now, and we're happy with it, I guess. <laughs> that's a good point about the theme song. Like, Deep Space Nines is, like, equally... Perennial. It's haunting, <laughs> but it's also triumphant, but it's also contemplative, like, depending on which part you're kind of focusing on. Uh, yeah, it, it's very versatile. That's a good point. I got to say, though, my absolute favorite, absolute favorite uh, Star Trek music is Voyager. And it's that mm, part mm-hmm. that do, 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 That part, very Gustav Holst kind of planet sweet feel to it. Yeah, no, I do have to say that like the Voyager theme music for me is easily my favorite. I like that. Yeah. That trumpet. Oh, so good. I think Strange New Worlds is is rapidly climbing the ranks for me. I lowered decks for me actually mm, as I like well. That. Yeah. Yeah. Strange new worlds. It's got that, the, the TOS theme, but then its own theme kind of in the middle and then comes back to the TOS and I, its own theme in the middle. I love that little bit. Cause it's, I don't know. There's, I can't. Yeah. 
it's it's good <laughs> but yeah lower decks is so reminiscent of a bunch of different ones too kind of melded together i love that that oh good stuff anyways <laughs> getting get me into it <laughs> Actually, another piece of music, and I know they couldn't. This we're we're leaving the world, but the, the Klingon theme from from um, the motion picture will always be a favorite as well. Yeah, but we're we're leaving the world of it. We need to we need to finish off. <laughs> Let's get uh, back to the diegetic music. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like a drill to the head. Yeah. So Star Trek <laughs> Discovery. <laughs> nice uh, segue there. I love that. Yeah. Um, not a ton of, of, of singing in Star Trek Discovery. The one that it really comes to mind, uh, from an episode, the season two episode, an Obal for Charon, Tilly singing Space Oddity with Stamets, uh, just before she gets a drill to the skull. <laughs> yeah. She, she even kind of whimpers right before and it's like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Tell my wife I love her very much, you know. <laughs> um, the other little bit, and, and so first of all, the fact that it's a David Bowie song, I just think that's so cool that David Bowie's in Star Trek now. Um, oh, yeah. That's awesome. But uh, the other thing I'll mention with them is uh, they're a very musical cast, which is funny. Mm-hmm. They they didn't do more of that kind of thing. Uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be a big, huge number in season five. I don't know. But uh, there was a, the, what's the James Corden's thing? Is it the carpool karaoke? They all yeah, got, yeah. they all got together and did that. Uh, so not on the show, but a little special shout out to some of the talent there uh, singing some of those. And I mean, I, come on. Anthony Rapp was in Rent. Like, come on. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, uh, and as a bit of a nod to, to Mr. Rapp, the Discovery crew, it feels very much like the cast of Rent in space to me in some some weird <laughs> way. Uh, they, they they did seem like a really good ensemble of people who were friends. And, and you know, that's why I think that you can get away with a scene where you drill a hole in your, your crewmate's head and make it look believable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, David Bowie in Star Trek, I think he would have approved. Yeah. Well, Star Trek Lower Decks, Boimler takes up the violin and, you know, plays songs that he composes, such as Requiem for a Hug. Uh, And Mariner and Tendi blast him off the stage with their rock band in the episode Temporal Edict. And and the fingers are in the right place for those guitar chords, too, which which is pretty cool. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, So... The other thing I wanted to mention about Lower Decks, and I might have mentioned this elsewhere, but the the Lower Decks crossover with Strange New Worlds happens two episodes before the big musical episode. Do you ever think that Mariner and Boimler, when they're back in their own time, look up the star date and are just like, <gasps> we missed that by two weeks? Damn it! Oh, it's true. You're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, that is brilliant. No, yeah, I would be kicking myself. <laughs> My hope is also that 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 this gets picked up a little bit by um by Lower Decks with that weird bird episode. I they're very mm-hmm. capable of doing some seriously high concept crap. Um and so I'm excited for that. But like I often think very much of um I used to watch a lot of Macross as a kid. For those of you who don't know, it was also called Robotech. It was a Japanese um, animated TV show from the late 80s, early 90s. And there was a lot of music involved in it. There was typically usually a Japanese singer lady sort of singing some, you know, really meaningful ballad over the the explosions and destruction of giant space 
fighter plane <laughs> mechs shooting each other and guys being like, Nanikurab! and then blowing up. And you just see like those like explosions and laser beams everywhere. I really hope they, they pick that up a little bit. There's actually an animated feature, uh, Star Trek, I think called TIE Fighter. And it's done in sort of an anime style. And they, they definitely like, there's some like very sort of cascading piano music while all these ships are exploding around um, the visuals and stuff. So I think there's room for that in Star Trek um, to, to kind of maybe do a little nod to the Japanese um, space battle music. I, I, I'm hopeful that's the case. And those of you who do know what I'm talking about, um, yes, I'm probably going to watch some Macross here in the next couple of days just to get that <laughs> out of my system. Nice. Mid-May and whatnot. Well, uh, from there, I, I mean, I guess not much more with Lower Decks to talk about. I will say in Star Trek Picard, we learn that Worf has become a fan of Berlioz and listens to the <laughs> same operas that Picard uh, did in First Contact. And uh, we got a little bit of Uhura's singing by Celia Rose Gooding in season one in the episode Children of the Comet. It's kind of a little prelude to uh, showcasing her talents in the recent Subspace Rhapsody. So, As uh, as uh, Cisco would say, the best is yet to come, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Uh, Prodigy? Um, oh, we got Murph. We got Murph yes. lip syncing on stage yes. in the holodeck. Uh, yes. that was the only one that I could think of for prodigy, but yeah, what a moment actually singing. Yeah. That was brilliant. <laughs> Charming. Charming. <laughs> Star Trek in music. I tell you, it, it's a match made in heaven right there from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, culminating, I guess not culminating. Let's hope not culminating in the recent episode. I think more to come for sure. Maybe not another musical episode like that, but yeah, there'll be more music in Star Trek for sure. A hundred percent. I think a musical episode, one's enough. Um, maybe years in the future we could revisit something, but I think this, you know, I mean, obviously Buffy did it way back in the day. Uh, there's been other uh, TV shows that have done full musical episodes as well. And, and for the most part, they, they just seem like a fun little romp. And, and that's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm expecting for Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um, so to rattle off a couple more that just popped into my head so that to, yes. to head off the comments of people, Oh, you forgot, you forgot. <laughs> um, so of course, data singing blue skies in star Trek yes. nemesis. One of the, the good moments from that movie. I think I enjoy that. <laughs> the reprise of blue skies, uh, sung by Isa Briones in the season one finale of Picard, a wonderful moment. And I can't believe I forgot this. Agnes Gerardi, as the Borg queen singing in oh. season two of Picard. <laughs> along, <How> desperately. <laughs> along with uh, Patrick Stewart's wife in that same scene earlier. Right. So there you go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, I mean, Q plays the trumpet on the enterprise bridge at one point. What else did we miss? M messily. There is a mariachi <laughs> band on the bridge very briefly. Yes, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm sure we've missed more, but those are definitely the most memorable ones for me. Well, Dan, there's a place you can go if you want to tell us that we've forgotten something fundamental to the musical history of Star Trek, and that is the Positively Trek Facebook page, where you rarely see me, but uh, I am there in spirit quite a bit, and when I do show up, I try to engage as much as I can. Uh, but Dan, you're on there a whole ton. Yeah. So um, that is probably the best place to find us, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. The Facebook page and the uh, the discussion group, the Positively Trek discussion group, for sure. Yes, on Facebook. that's the word. Um, we do have a page as well. You can like that. We don't 
post yeah. i mean we post new episodes there but the discussion's all happening over at the other place so that's the um, one the other thing you can I don't do social media well sorry <laughs> no it's all good <laughs> um the other thing you can do of course is email us positively trek at gmail.com we will read your email for sure get a hold of us there if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share we will read them and with your permission we may read them in a future episode if uh you would like us to share your thoughts so that's it for us this was a heck of a lot of fun i love music and star trek i'm not a talented musician by any stretch of the imagination but i sure gosh darn do like listening to it so i don't play as much as i would ever want uh, and so it's nice to hear talented actors uh, sing and croon to me well thank you all so much for listening this week we will be back with another episode soon so until <laughs> then stay positive Not again. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.